millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Belinda Bencic captures her sixth singles title in Charleston. Riley Opelka wins the Battle of the Bots in Houston. And Jay Wilfred Songer announces his retirement. Kim, today is the 11th of April and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Passing Shot HQ, specially backed by our crowd funders this week, Jeanette Muscat and Alec DeMello. The clay season is here. The clay season has begun. We have a week, a week's worth of clay tournaments to catch up on, as well as look forward to the first clay masters event on the atp side the monte carlo masters very very exciting stuff novak djokovic returning i know rafa's not there i know you're a little bit sad by that but we're we're now in the clay the clay swing and it's a bit of a weird time because i feel like kim with with these events that we've had this week in in houston in charleston particularly we're we're sort of getting like the sort of non-traditional red european clay events out the way before we can get into it this week yeah and I think I've said this before but for me the clay season is all about these like traditional historic European <laughs> events and I know that might what? sound you, a bit... you're not a fan of the the green clay in Charleston uh, or, sorry I mean... the hard true red surface of Houston <laughs> I mean each to their own I always find this sort of pre-European clay week a bit strange um but I mean I'm just a very traditionalist I think when it comes to the clay I didn't like the blue ca- uh, blue clay in Madrid <laughs> for a start um but let's not get on to that um but yeah it, it'll be weird actually I've got Monte Carlo on now so obviously we'll preview Monte Carlo a bit later but it is strange knowing that there's no Rafa this year um hopefully we'll see him back on the clay later in the spring but um yeah it's it's an unusual sensation because you know him at Monte Carlo is just like meant to be it's it's yeah. such a you just historic it. combination you <laughs> exactly. just expect it but hey we've got carlos alcaraz who's broken on the scene i feel like due to the uh the sunshine double and we're all excited to see how he gets on in novak Djokovic's quarter no less but as you said we will be looking and diving into that draw in the second half of the show we've got lots to talk about before then and we are going to start in charleston on the green clay the biggest event uh, of the last week, the WTA 500 event. And we had Belinda Bencic uh, win her sixth singles title. It was her first clay singles title as well, defeating Onjabor in a really, really kind of ebbing and flowing final in three sets. Bencic won it 6-4 in the third. Yeah, this match, Kim, it was just full of full of momentum shifts and for someone like Benchic, I mean, I felt like she she just battled through the tournament. I mean, she was quite precariously being close to being dumped out a couple of moments during the tournament. But yeah, she kind of 
battled her way through the tournament and I think in her own words it's put her season back on track because you know she did not have the greatest start to the season at the start of the year. No she didn't she had Covid and obviously you know it's affected her in um, mm. you know a difficult way when it when it comes to playing professional tennis as it has with, with many players so not the greatest start to her season but certainly of late she's really picked it up a notch got got to the semis in Miami now you know winning a title here her first clay uh, title as well so she's become you know one of a, a, a quite a unique group of, of players to have won I think this level tournament on clay grass and hard um, so it's you know it's not for everyone to be able to win titles no. on, on all surfaces but just goes to show she has such you know quite a good variety in her game and um, is very well suited to transitioning very quickly between between different surfaces although you know some do say that this sort of green clay plays a bit more like a hard court uh, than than a traditional mm. clay court so there is that sort of debate but perhaps it's it's a good way to go from the hard courts to the clay courts where you've got that sort of in between uh which is maybe where Charleston comes into its own I don't know Joel but um yeah it was a great final three sets Benchic Yabor um Benchic coming through obviously 6-4 in the third and you know she had to battle quite a lot this week as well she had a, a tight win over at Paola Badosa as well um and also in her first round uh, against Wang um you know she was having to, to come from, like, to set up. in a breakdown. Yeah, so it could easily have, have been very different <laughs> this week. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, what was so amazing about it was the fact that she got, you know, so far and so deep in, in Miami last week to the semifinals. I think in, in, her, in, in her interview afterwards, she spoke about the fact that she had, like, only two days to kind of prepare herself um, for this tournament. So not a lot of time whatsoever. And given, I think, to be honest, she probably would have lost a little bit of confidence given the start she had. Um, you know, she was playing, I think, good tennis, but she was just coming up against players who were just on their day playing slightly better than her. And I think, you know, she had a loss to, to Bedosa. She had a loss to Contivate as well um, and Anisimova in Australia. So, yeah, I think there were some kind of moments where it was sort of quite tough to take. And, you know, she really needed to, I think, go back to putting the hard yards in with her, you know, with her coach and her team. And I think it's really been paying dividends uh, since, well, since Miami. And I think for her, this has very much been the start of her season. And, you know, she's going to be a very, I think, difficult kind of opponent, a very combative opponent, a bit like Ange Jabour, to be honest, um, going into kind of the European clay swing. I thought both players played very, 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 very well. I actually think they could have potentially, I think I actually saw a little bit better from both of them in the build up to the final. But at the same time, we all know that Anjabor, a very kind of a magician sort of player in the sense of she's got a lot of variety. You know, she brought that out in the semi final and Anisimova, well, she didn't deal with it that well, particularly the, the, the Jabor drop shot, which I feel has its own fan club. But, um, but yeah, Benchic, I think was just very easily at home, I think, kind of having to deal with that variety and um you know she was carving out quite a lot of breakpoint opportunities on the Jabour serve and I think that was really kind of helping her get that momentum and yeah picking her moments specifically in that third set where I think you know Jabour had her chances as well and I think you know she was definitely disappointed when it, it got to the you know the end there were tears you know there were tears there but I think you know she doesn't have to be I think disheartened about her performance I think just Benchich you know with her experience and I think given her work ethic given the the yards she has put in 
with her team, certainly in the build up to, to Miami. She went out early in Indian Wells, so has been able to kind of work on things. And I think, yeah, it's just helped her put this kind of run together. And as you said, she came through some very tricksy, tricksy opponents, Madison Keys as well, Badossa and then Alexandrova in the semifinals. Yeah, a very, very good run uh, for Belinda Bencic. Yeah, quite a lot of different sorts of players that she had to face and, mm. and, and come through. And her first clay court final, actually, which I think was probably quite surprising. I just would have maybe assumed that she'd got to a clay final before. But um, yeah, just that bit too much um, more consistency when it came to the third set. And uh, she managed to serve out the match um, to love. Uh, which is a nice, strong way to to finish um, to finish the match and and the and the tournament. I mean, yeah, Jabor saved championship point on her. I think on her serve in the preceding yeah. game, really nice forehand cross court winner. But yeah, it that felt like it was the last stand, and Jabor didn't really have enough left to yeah challenge Bencic in that final um, her final service game. So um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see how Bencic gets on, um, in Europe. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to know, I feel like, with this event, because as I said, it's not, it's not your traditional European red clay. And, and arguably the fact that it sort of plays like a hardcore, given what players have been saying and what I've, you know, what we've been reading also in the, you know, in the press over the last week or so. Um, it might have actually helped benchich given obviously she got to the semis on the hard courts in in miami so it's hard to see whether you know or sorry, it's difficult to see whether what this means for for benchich in terms of her french open prospects but you know she is a player who is just very very wily and experienced and the fact that she's won now on clay grass and hard at this level just shows i think the level that she can play at and when she's playing with confidence she can be a very, very tricky customer for the the highest ranking players on the tour. Yeah, definitely. We saw that at the um, the Olympics last year, didn't mm. we? And um, I have to say, I really like the the trophies from Charleston this this past week. Really nice, like purple and yellow sort of glass, sort of vase esque designs. Um, one, yeah, one of the nicest trophies I've seen in a long time. So, I mean, I love the tournament, Kim. I think it's, I think it's really unique. I know there are some people who dismiss the green clay. Is it fake clay? I don't know. I don't really care to be honest, because you know it's such a unique event, and I don't sometimes. I sometimes feel we don't have enough sort of unique events. I don't certainly feel like we have enough WTA clay five hundreds. But um, yeah, really, really good event. Nice to also see Amanda. Anisimova getting to the semi-finals. She had a really good match against Sabalenka, the top seed in the third round, and, and came through that in three sets uh, before defeating Kota Coco Vanderwey in the quarterfinals. So a good week for her. Um, as I said, she got I felt she got a bit undone by the the Onjabor drop shot, and maybe she needs to work a little bit on her mobility and, and movement. I know she's got quite a tall frame, but it felt like Jabor with all the tricks of the trade in that sort of Ash Barty style, I felt was bamboozled Anisimova a little bit. And and as a result, Jabor was able to come through that, even though Anisimova at times you just saw, yeah, she's just got, she's got the power and she could marry that power with devastating accuracy at points. But Jabor's, I feel just her consistency just across the, the three sets sort of just came through just but nevertheless a good week for for Anisimova um and Alexandrova as well on the um on the uh, on the other side 
getting through to the, the semi-finals, making the most, I feel, of a quite a nice draw. You know, she had Magda Lynette in the quarters, Karolina Pliskova, who's sort of coming her way back from, from injury as well in the in the third round. So yeah, good for her for getting to the, the semis too. Yeah, uh, talking of uh, Magda Lynette, uh, she got to the quarters of the singles, but won the doubles with Andrea Klepak. So I think that's their first time playing together this week and they went and won the double so mm. very nice stuff from them um but yeah I think um I, I second your um assessment when it comes to Enisimova it was really nice to see her at sort of deeper stages of, of a tournament again and you know she's obviously been heralded for a long time as one of the the big ones mm. to watch and obviously a former Roland Garros semi-finalist on the clay so we look forward to seeing what she might be able to I keep bring. forgetting I keep forgetting that happened Kim <laughs> it felt like it was so long ago that yeah I, I've almost kind of forgot about her credentials on on a clay court I feel like I'm, I'm talking about her more like as a threat on, on a hard court but Certainly, I think, yeah, she's another player who I don't think many people are, are going to want to face, um, you know, come, you know, come Europe and the, the, the clay swing and, and the, well, and ultimately the, the French Open. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't obviously still not great for, for Sabalenka. I mean, I think she would have been disappointed with that loss to Anna Samova as the, the top seed. But yeah, Anna Samova on that day was just playing a little bit better tennis. Kim, I will say though, as much as I do love, charleston and the setup they have there someone does need to speak to the architect of the uh the center court or the main court because the shade situation the shadow is like this this court definitely falls into that category of terrible shadowing on the court that really as a fan watching it on tv was really hard to kind of make it clear between you know going from the dark to the light back to the dark to the light etc yeah i want them to work on that yeah there seems to be a, a number of tournaments where this happens mm. and it's such a pain trying to like watch it and see like, why isn't that on. like the first thing on the agenda for the architects or, or whoever it is is what is the trajectory of the sun what does that look like in terms of the shadow on court how do we minimize it so it's really easy to see it on well on a tv screen or or probably in person as well because yeah uh, genuinely at times it was very very difficult to watch it yeah i think uh, obviously they're using a lot of older stadiums sometimes mm. but I, I certainly hope that for any new built uh stadiums that's something <laughs> that they majorly factor in because it does affect the, the the fan experience doesn't it and i also feel that when this particular surface on the telly it can often look quite murky and, and grey and mm. it, it doesn't necessarily, I don't know, always, I think, come out as nice as it must be in person. So a bit of a shame there. But um, but yes, uh, I think all in all, a good tournament. Well done to Belinda Bencic. Um, she joins players such as Kim Kleisters, uh, Angie Kerber, Kvitova, Pliskova to, to win uh, sort of clay, grass and hardcore tournaments at WTA 500 level. So a uh, good couple of names in there as well, Kuznetsova and, and Madison Keys as well. So um, players who have won uh, three, uh, well, three or more, I suppose, at that, that event on all surfaces. Um, but we did also have a, the tournament out in Bogota in uh, Colombia, which was a 250 event. Uh, and we had an interesting final between two qualifiers who I don't think we would have been able to predict, really. Uh, we had Laura Pigossi from Brazil against Tatiana Maria, uh, the German player. Uh, and it was Maria who came through um, in three sets in, um, yeah, just over sort of two two hours, two and a half hours. Uh, this is her second 
title overall on the WTA tour. Uh, but I guess most notably what's being reported in, in all the headlines is that she's the first uh, mother of two uh, this century to lift a WTA title. So obviously that's been doing the rounds on social media. It's the kind of the, the main talking point, isn't it, Joel, um, with regards to, to Maria in particular winning this title? I mean, um, unbelievably almost like surprising final yeah two qualifiers um you know i you got the sense looking at the draw that it, it was on like it was on the cards and um yeah it was nice for you know it was nice for both of them to get to the the final i think it showed having those those matches in your legs already kind of helped them i think carry on that momentum once they reached the the main draw and for tatiana maria amazing amazing story really not just this week but just generally her kind of career because you know she is a former wta top 50 player she's won a title already um on the on the wta tour so to have a second one and to do it in front of your kids kim that is that must feel pretty special and yes i know it's been reported and (laughs) i know there are some people who think like is that the main story or like does that actually does that actually matter? But I think it's still quite nice to see the pictures of her kind of having this moment with with her family. It's something that they can all they can all remember. I feel, and um, yeah, I think it was. Uh, I I feel like if I'm being brutally honest, less said about the final and the the match itself, the better. I don't think it was the highest quality match we'll see on in a final at, at WTA tour level, but the result I think was 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 more special. Yeah, pleasing result. And perhaps that's why so much is being focused on with mm. regards to um, her being a mother. Uh, it was yeah, really nice that she could obviously celebrate with her family. I think her oldest daughter is, is about nine. So obviously able like to see what's going on and be aware. And I think um, she, she married her coach. So it is really very much a, a family affair <laughs> um, getting to this point. And uh, her first title was back in Mallorca in 2018. I think I went to that tournament actually. So um yeah, it's uh, very nice very nice for Maria. I, I do take slight umbrage because I do feel like if Roger Federer, you know, was to win a title, they would not have the headline Father of Four <laughs> wins title, you know. So I do like it is double standards, but we've kind of we have said that before. It's a weird one. It's a it's a really weird one. It's, it's like yes that is notable. But is it newsworthy? And uh, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a strange one. I I'm a I'm sort of with you. I don't I, like. It, it, yes, it makes it more amazing that that, that this has happened um, as a you know a mother of two. But I don't feel like it mattered on the it didn't matter on the day. It just makes it what a nice a nice story in the end. Yeah, and we've probably been guilty of talking about it as well to, to, to quite a, big, a large extent now so yeah are we hypocrites uh, possibly um but yeah it was actually the first uh wta final uh between two qualifiers since last year in leon uh where clara torson beat golubich so um really nice for pagossi to get to this stage because she hadn't even won a match on the no. main draw of no. the wta tour uh before this this week so both of them outside the top 200 um so also both of the you know the two lowest ranked finalists um i think since like four years ago as well so i think ultimately um pagossi's unforced errors did her in um you know aside from that it, it was relatively you know yeah like you said not the greatest quality mm. but maria was the better player on the day pagossi just a bit unruly but um yeah it's obviously nice when you get these these 
kind of heroic stories qualifiers coming through. Not Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano. She could only get to the semi-finals in her, her in her home event. Joel. Well, we did have a hometown champion or a home country champion, even so, in the ATP Houston event, the 250, out on the hard, true red clay. I don't know what that means, but it looked a, it looked a distinct a distinct colour that was different from what you'd, I think, typically expect in the European clay season. But uh, yeah, we had the final of the bots, Kim. Battle of the bots, Riley Apelka, John Isner, and Riley Opelka winning 6-3, 7-6. I mean, I'm just surprised there was only one tie break. I thought it was just going to be two two tie breaks or maybe even three tie breaks. But no, Riley Opelka came through. And yeah, fourth ATP Tour trophy, his first on clay. And here's a little stat for you. This was the tallest ATP Tour final in the Open era. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Apelka's six foot eleven. John is the six foot ten. I mean, this was a. I mean, this was just quite funny. I just thought the fact that these two guys, who I just feel like we just associate them with banging down loads of serves on a, on a grass court, uh, going on to reach you know a clay final and uh yeah apelka coming through i you know what just watching it, it it genuinely sometimes feels like john isner is playing a a version of himself from 5 years ago or a slightly sort of quicker faster version of himself and i and i just ultimately think he just had apelka just had the slight edge on isner in in all of the departments really and that's what and that's what led him to the title yeah, it kind of serves Isner right in a way, doesn't it? He's finally coming <laughs> up against someone who does what he does, you know, just a little bit better, is a bit younger, uh, a sort of new version of mm. himself. And I mean, I am pleased that we only got one tie break in this final <laughs> because I was, like you, fully expecting three. Um, but actually, we had 13 break points Um in this match and five mini breaks in the second set tie break. So I think, you know, it does go to show that well, maybe they are mm. capable of um, you know, <laughs> r- returning well at some point in time. Uh, but yeah, it was um, perhaps a better final than many would have envisaged when we got this match up um, on, on the ATP Tour. Yeah, I mean, Kim, Apelka had won their last four meetings and their last 12 sets had been a 7-6 scoreline. Uh, so yeah, it was a little bit surprising to see. Oh my God. 6-3 first set what's going on here the world has changed um but uh yeah nice nice win for Apelka I mean his second serve in particular was absolutely massive throughout the week uh it really it must be one of the highest kick serves I feel like I've ever seen um on TV to the point I would love to see him almost I almost wish he had faced like someone like a Diego Schwartzman um on the court <laughs> just to see how high that serve could could get on him because it was just unbelievable at times. It was almost reaching. It was just going as high as where the the crowd were watching from behind the court. Um, so, uh, but yeah, but yeah, Apelka, you know, again, very, very good, very, very good, uh, very, very good title win for him. I feel like, you know, the what the X factor that he does have over John is is his movement around the court. I think we talk about that all the time, but whether you're bringing him into a net, putting him from side to side he seems to be able to just get there with relative ease for a a guy who is <laughs> a guy who is so tall at six foot eleven and I think that really kind of helps him get set and choose the you know choose what he wants to do with you know next on the on the court and um you know he was looking very very good throughout the throughout the week 
He did also have to overcome Nick Kyrgios in the semi-finals. Kim, I know you love talking about Nick Kyrgios on the pod, and we're going to have to do it the same again because Riley Opelka came through against Kyrgios 6-3-7-5, but there was a flash moment in the match, five all, second set. It was very tight, um, and Kyrgios, again, got angry at an umpire. He thought a ball was out and there was no call and uh, he was expecting an out call from the umpire and, and it essentially led to him losing his call and then ultimately getting a game penalty uh, or sorry, a point penalty that lost him the game. And that was essentially game set and match a Pelka. So yeah, more sort of Nick Kyrgios sort of doing well, getting to a semi-final on a clay court, which hasn't happened in, in years, but at the same time, being the old Nick Kyrgios that we know. And uh, yeah, sort of mini implosion, handing it to Apelka, feeling like maybe he's like searching for a way out because you feel like defeat was on the horizon. Yeah, I do. I, I do um, to some extent, I have a little bit of sympathy with Nick Kyrgios here. What? Him? I know, I know. Nick Kyrgios? <laughs> what am I saying? Um, because his issue here was that he really did think, you know, that that ball from Apelka was out. Mm. And, you know, you can't, um, there's, there's no Hawkeye um, on, on this, obviously on the clay. And he was asking the umpire, like, you know, can you tell me? And, and the umpire said, oh, I I don't know from here. Like, I, I couldn't see it sort of thing. And, you know, you, you want the umpire really to respond. Oh, no, it's definitely in or it's definitely out. You know, you want them to be certain, don't you? Because Kyrgios kind of came back saying, what do you mean you don't know from there? Where are you supposed to sit then if you can't see it? Which I don't know. I, I thought... I kind of I can see where he's coming from, you know, because you want to have faith in in the umpires, and if they're perhaps not able to see marks or they're not willing to go and check them, then it's you know, uh, it's, it's how can you like fully have confidence when you're playing? But obviously, no excuse for Nick to be obscene in the way he he was or what have you. Like that's obviously his way of reacting, and we'll get onto it later. Where the ATP have kind of come out and said recently, yeah. but um. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting though, because as you said, it's this. This is clay. We still do not have Hawkeye on on clay, and as a result, I was sort of thinking in relation to this tournament. Yeah, this is the court surface where you're most likely, I feel, to see Nick Kyrgios combust because there are more elements at play. He can't see. You can't see the you know the definitive proof um, of a Hawkeye challenge, like on a hard court or a grass court, and also at the same time. I feel like the umpires have also got to be on top of their game even more so than say on a on a hard court where I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that having Hawkeye has made sort of umpires lazier or or they can relax a little bit more because they've got technology to kind of back them up but you know but at the same time I do think umpires on on clay it's almost like there's an extra there's an extra degree of challenge there because they're going to they need to make sure they know where the, where the ball is landing so that they can be confident that they if they are called upon that they know you know what spot to to point to how to handle the situation and yeah it's it's interesting Nick Kyrgios you know he, again he called out the umpire on Twitter afterwards saying umpires seem to make these mistakes a little too often a lot of players seemed dissatisfied with the performance of them this week in Houston more punishment question mark potentially new umpires question mark so you know it's i do think i do sort of see kind of his point in the sense of yes all the heat is on the players at the moment with all their aggressive behavior and that's absolutely 
that's absolutely right. And as you said, Kim, we'll we'll get onto that in the, in the second half. But I think there's also got to be some. It there can't just be some sort of I feel like like halo for umpires as well. I feel like they have to be held accountable too. I don't think they should be held accountable in a way that maybe Nick Kyrgios does it on a tennis court. But I still think it raises the issue that they are there and they are there to do a job and there should be you know they should be set to a standard that um you know it feels like in some in some aspects maybe they're you know they're not being held accountable to as much i think you just need accountability in all aspects of mm. the sport don't you for the players behavior the umpiring you know and there there should be obviously rigorous sort of standards enforced and continual monitoring and you know people are human they do make mistakes it's it's how it how it becomes like repetition, you know, if it's a particular umpire that's just not performing, for example, or a particular player, you know, that's not behaving well, you've got to take action. So um, I guess, you know, in this case, you know, it's coming from both sides, but I mean, well, it's our weekly Nick Kyrgios update at the moment, isn't it? With his, <laughs> we should have our own behavior. segment. We should have our own segment. No, please, um, no. <laughs> no, okay, right. We won't have our own segment. But if we did, listeners, let us know what should it be called. Um, but uh, yeah, I will say though, Kim, if I was being like, if it boiled down to one thing, if Nick Kyrgios was so sure that ball was was out, then he should have just stopped play. Um, he shouldn't have maybe re- he could have I think perhaps taken it into his own own hands in a way that you know would have asked asked a question of the umpire to you know to get off his chair and come down and, and look at a mark on the court but because he didn't do that I think that's where we got this sort of jousting match kind of come in so I think it's like that, that for me was a, a little bit of a tell in terms of maybe there was some uncertainty there that was creeping in in terms of was this ball in was this ball out and therefore it's still quite hard to it's still quite hard to agree with him yeah um let's move on to marrakesh now joel um my head is is uh bamboozled by Kyrgios uh, yet again. <laughs> so uh, we had the, the, the 250 event for the ATP out in Marrakesh uh, in Morocco. Uh, this was won by David Goffin uh, in three sets. Mm. He, uh, yeah, really nice to see him back winning a title. He's had so many woes of late, a lot of injury and, you know, just really struggling a lot. And he came yeah. through against Alex Molkan, uh, 3-6, 6-3, 6-3. Uh, many could say that Goffin was a bit lucky or or rather Alex Volkan sort of could and should have perhaps won you know he was mm. um he was a set set a break, and a up. break up and you know was going quite quite nicely but yeah it was Goffan that came through um to win his his sixth trophy as well so both him and Benchich have uh, claimed their sixth trophies of, of the tour in the last week yeah Goffin has had a real not a great start to the season I think I saw only he's had six wins um, on the ATP tour. He dropped down to challenger level, I think, to kind of get more match practicing. That didn't really work for him. Having said that, though, we do know that he knows his way around a clay court. And it feels like coming onto your favorite surface has really worked wonders for him. And again, particularly in a draw that felt quite open um, in Marrakesh, it wasn't, you sensed it was an opportunity for someone who maybe wasn't in the greatest of form um, to kind of put a run together. And Goffin had some very good victories, um, you know, go en route to the final, particularly against Andujar, who was the second seed. Sorry, against Andujar, who beat the second seed, Dan Evans, in the first round really easily, 6-4, 6-2. For Goffin then to come through that 
and then uh, you know Correa as well in the semi-finals. Um, yeah, it was very, very, very impressive from him. Particularly as you said, Kim, given I sort of put him in the Joe Wilfred Songa category of like <laughs> brutally, <laughs> brutally, honestly. Um, I'm almost kind of waiting for the Instagram posts of you know when when your when's your retirement event going to be we're not there obviously just yet with with david goffam and i love you know the fact that this this result happened because it shows that he can still he can still compete at the you know at the very top at the very top level and i think this will give him a lot of it'll give him a lot of satisfaction going into you know a time of the season where he will feel like well look yeah my season hasn't been great so far but if there's going to be one point this this year where i'm going to be competitive and i'm going to be able to win trophies it's the you know it's the european clay and for david gaffan to do that in africa out in morocco to begin with um yeah very very good for him yeah definitely and perhaps he, we won't be disregarding his name quite so uh, as much as we no, have been so dismissively mm, I, mean, I need to apologize to him i need to apologize to him kim i feel go and phone his agent quick get him on the phone <laughs> and uh Je suis désolé, David. That's, that's the only <laughs> French I know. Um, but yeah, we had, um, he was up against Molkan, who is, you know, quite a young Slovakian guy, who I think, well, I mean, like, the first time I'd heard of him was when he got to the Belgrade, was it Belgrade 1 or Belgrade 2 last year, um, where he lost to Novak in the final. So this was only his, his second final on the ATP tour. Um, he, you know, came through against Lazo Gere in the semis, had some good wins over Felix, OJ Aliasim and Botic van der Zanschorp. So, um, you know, battling through and not just not able to get the job done, became quite passive as the final went on. Kim, he literally made our Felix Ogier Aliasim predictions oh, last week. I know. He made them dated so quick. <laughs> like within a couple of hours, I feel like those those predictions were were dated big time. Um yeah, he came through a final set tiebreak against FAA. Really, really close. I, I still actually, I still can't believe he actually won. I thought FAA had the chances to do it. But uh yeah, Molkan is, you know, he's twenty four years old, uh Slovakian. I think he's a very decent player and he should, I think, you know, I think one of his ambitions this season should be winning an ATP tour trophy. I mean, two finals now seems to like the clay. Um, You know, I think there'll be plenty of opportunities coming up Um, and whether, you know, he sticks to kind of playing on challenger events or yeah, working his way to make sure he has like a more full-time schedule on the ATP tour. But yeah, another sort of good performance for him. Perhaps he needs to work on how he approaches finals, given that's two losses now. Um, and this one, yeah, from a set and a breakup, I think, you know, will be disappointing for him. But at the same time, you know, Goffin is a, a very experienced player. He knows what he's doing. He's very smart, I think. And I think he has a very tactical tennis brain. I think that's one of his key strengths, particularly around, I think, point construction. I do think as a fan, he's one of those players you can just sort of rock up and watch and you can you can almost see his brain in action in terms of what he's doing on a, on a tennis court and um yeah nice nice win for him out in uh in morocco definitely um and yeah felix ojalisim has had a horrendous last month uh on the tour which will uh i'm hoping he'll be able to pick that back up again um as we go into the european clay but well done david goffan uh really nice to see him take another title after quite a long time um dan evans also had a shocking week mm. uh losing in his first match to pablo uh, kim malik yaziri though oh malik yaziri yeah what did he do he he got to the third <laughs> 
second, got to the second, second round. round. Yeah, I'll take it, Kim. He, he got did a, get a retirement <laughs> from Vasili. That doesn't matter, Kim. That doesn't matter, Kim. I'll take any win for, for Yaziri. Uh, yeah, he went out to Jair in the second round. But yeah, nice. A nice win over Vesely, who, yeah, was, I mean, what? He beat Novak Djokovic a few months ago. Yeah, so yeah. what does that mean? Does that mean Malik Yaziri is better than Novak Djokovic? Of Absolutely. course it does. Yeah. Let's so, go, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's take a quick break now. But do join us in the second half where we'll be looking at Simona Halep partnering up with Patrick Moradugalu, uh, Joe Wilfred Songa retiring, and uh, all the latest from the Monte Carlo Masters. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to Mysterious Player. We haven't had a a quiz segment in ages, Joel, uh, because of Indian Wells and and Miami and whatnot. So um, I hope you're looking forward to... I know. It's been a while. It's been a while. It really has. Um, So I've got a Mysterious Player up my sleeve for you and our listeners. So... um, I mean, are you ready to to commence? Ah, uh, I'm I'm Kim. I'm always for a mysterious player. I'm always born ready. I'm born uh. ready. Born <laughs> ready to probably like take like six, seven clues before giving a wrong answer. But I'm still ready. I'm still ready. Okay, I don't know. I think you'll do all right with this one. I think okay. this is okay. a nice one. But um, let let's go. Uh, so clue number one. I was born on March the seventh, nineteen sixty. <laughs> wow okay um so 1960 so it's 40 let me say 62 62 years old um i'm gonna say and I, this is probably wrong but i'm saying this person because they're in the news at the moment boris becker <laughs> oh is boris becker in the news i should probably know that if he is um <laughs> It's not, not for not for the right reasons. Not, no, yeah. not for the right reasons. I'm sure. Um, no, it's not Boris Becker. Um, unfortunately. Um, okay. Uh, clue number two. Um, ooh, just trying to think what clues would be uh, the best one. Right. Okay. I the only slam I did not win was Wimbledon. Oh, okay. So didn't win. So they won US, French, Australian. I mean, that's still quite tricky for me. Um, 62 years old. Mm, Wimbledon. Mm. Illy Nastasi? Not correct, Joel. No. Uh, but good shout. Good shout. Um, let me see. I was inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame in 2001. So they would have been retired in 40, 40 or 40, 41, maybe at that point. Um, I'm going to try different attack now. Steffi Graf. Incorrect. Um, okay. I think the next one might help uh, sort of narrow it down slightly uh i am often commonly referred to as either the father of the modern game or the far the father of the inside out forehand <laughs> oh really <laughs> well 
I mean, they may be known by that, but they are they are not known to me by that. Um, At least so, you know sorry, it's not what, a lady. That is true. So the father of the inside out forehand, mm-hmm. and it's. I mean, Rafael Nadal's not six. I know Rafael Nadal's <laughs> old, Kim, but he's. I know he's not sixty-two years old. Um. Well, okay. What about? I don't. Oh, I don't Rafa think Nadal has right. also won Wimbledon. Just putting that out there. <laughs> <laughs> a very good point. Um, Ivan Lendl. Yes, Joel. It is. Isn't well it? Done. Oh. <laughs> I hadn't even got on to like any of my proper clues, like Andy Murray, you know, or uh, all of his kind of head-to-heads and wow. other stuff. I was, I was thinking, oh, is this going to be too obvious if I, you know, say all of that too soon? So that's why I was kind of going for slightly more rogue clues uh but yes well done Ivan Lendl I um asked a friend to pick the first tennis player that came to their mind uh and they said Ivan Lendl so I thought right I'll do that as Mysterious mm-hmm. Player nice I like I it he, he may have featured on Mysterious Player before but I don't think it's been a while so um so yeah listeners let us know how you got on with that one um, what were your other clues he oh. I have reached four Grand Slam finals without I, I lost my first four Grand Slam finals or something Yep, and helped Andy Murray win three slams. Yep. Uh, changed nationality, uh, 1992. Oh, yeah, okay. Czechoslovakia to United States. Um, I mean, could could have gone on. Um, you'd sort of uh, apparently only male player in professional tennis history to um, have a match winning percentage of over ninety percent in five wow. years. So very. That's dominant. a great stat. Great yeah. stat. So could have been here all night giving you clues. Joel, <laughs> if you uh, didn't know your Ivan Lendl knowledge, but <laughs> um, right, let's move on to the passing shot mailbag. Uh, we had a really interesting question from at Love Will Survive on Twitter. So thanks for getting in contact with us. Um, they have said, should buys be abolished in Masters? Very interesting question. What are your thoughts on this one, Joel? Yeah, this is a. Uh... Very interesting question. Really glad this got asked because it's something I've never actually thought about before. And I was like on my lunch break, just thinking, just thinking about the kind of the pros and the cons of this. Um, and I mean, for me, I, I would say no. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't abolish buys, uh, from draws, uh, in masters events. Um, you know, I, I sort of see it kind of like, you know, we have a ranking system and I, I get that you know, equality and fairness, particularly in the realms of competition, uh, you know, that makes sense. And I think people clamour towards that and, and they want that. And, you know, without draw, or sorry, without buys, you can have an absolutely fair competition in the sense that no one, um, you know, no one is, you know, automatically put in the second round. Everyone is on a level playing field in round one. I completely understand that. However, do I think that should happen? No, um, my my feeling is kind of, you know, with rankings, that is just naturally hierarchical from one down to 1000 or, or wherever it is in the rankings. And because of that nature, I, I just don't feel like you can have just a level playing field draw um, in, you know, in events. And I like to think as a fan, you know, you want the top players um, you know, to be in these events, you want to see them, um, you know, get as, you know, get as far as possible. And to do that, I'm almost like you want to minimize the the risk of having to play that that first round match. So, 
you know, from that point of view, I'm kind of, I'd, I'd actually, I'd be in favor of just keeping them there because as I said, I feel like you need those marquee names. And I think a buy helps them stand out on the draw. You know, when you look at a draw, we, I, we do this every Sunday game. I look at the, you know, the PDFs, um, on the tennis app and, you know, that's the first thing I, I look to see. And, um, I I think it helps tournaments and I think it helps get fans in by having buys there because there's always going to be that anticipation for those players who were going to be coming in uh, a few days later in the week. Yeah, I, I totally understand the practical side of it and the, the, the lure that, that the tournament wants to, to give to those top players. You know, they're more likely to play. Great use of the word lure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I haven't used that word in a while. Like, <laughs> sounds a bit weird when you say it, lure. Anyway, uh, um, you've lost. I've, I, you've made me lose my train of thought yeah. now, Joel. Yeah. Um, yes, it's it's great for um, encouraging players to join the tournament if they're likely to only play like one less match and know that they kind of not going to have potential like early start the week straight after being at another tournament. You know, I quite like as a fan. Knowing that, uh, say, Rafa, for example, when he normally plays Monte Carlo, is, is going to start on the Wednesday because he's got a bye for the first round. And I know that he'll be starting his second round action on the Wednesday. So I, th- I see the sort of practical size of it. And it's, you know, slightly, I think, you know, players who obviously at the top of their game, they do deserve to have some yeah. perks for having got there. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's their exactly. reward, you know, one of the rewards that they get. So, um, I, I do think it's a bit weird, Matt, perhaps so sometimes you get tournaments where only half the seeds, you know, um, would mm, get by. Like a like half and half a, situation. A really yeah. small field and only four of the seed, of the eight seeds get buys. But um, generally speaking, I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't abolish it. Uh, I think it's okay as it is. Um, and from the other perspective, I guess if you're getting, you know, I don't know, some top players getting buys, um and others not, you know, perhaps there's, if you're another player that doesn't get drawn against uh, a top player in the first round, have you got more chance to make it through to the second round? If you're not drawn against a top player in the first round, that could be a slightly wacky way of looking at it. I don't know if that's making any sense to listeners, but um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, we don't always have this because Morocco didn't have buys, you know, so um Dan Evans was, was straight in to bat, you know, in the first round. So um, as the second seed, so um, it doesn't always happen. Yeah, and I think it it does depend on the I think the type of event it is because mm, yeah. it doesn't like for example at Grand Slam, Wimbledon, or yeah, yeah exactly. Grand and I think exactly. that's absolutely that's absolutely right. Um, but I think mm. from a practicality point of view, and I think I don't think there needs to necessarily be that level of fairness um in a in a in a sport where just naturally there is you know a rankings and a pyramid and a hierarchy and i think that should translate into these draws with buys so um yeah i i that's where i'm i kind of st- that's where i kind of stand on it but uh yeah listeners let us let us know let pass shot hq let joel and kim know what do you think should should buys be abolished in masters draw would you have them in grand slams um you know there's a whole host of questions there um let us know your thoughts 
absolutely and, and thank you for for the question so it was a great shout um we've got some news though joel uh so to sort of get mm. get on with in our news segment um first of which is that simona Halep has announced that patrick moratoglu uh is going to be coaching her uh this is you know obviously moratoglu started working with serena williams about 10 years ago but at the moment she's not She's not playing. She's sort of in hiatus. So he's working with Simona Halep as a sort of short-term arrangement. So she came out, tweeted this in, in the week. Uh, she's actually been without a coach herself for a while. Um, she was previously working with uh, Daniel Dobre and Adrian Marku um, since she kind of split with with Cahill. But um, yeah, has been coaching herself throughout kind of the, the last mm. few months. So she's worked uh, pretty well for her. Yeah, not done too badly, but yeah, she's she's with Morris Oglu now. Obviously, he's a, a very famous coach. Has worked with a number of players, like Sitspass, working with Coco Goff um, as a sort of consultant. But his his main person has been Serena. Um, but I guess you know if Serena's sort of not on the court at the moment. Um, yeah, maybe coming back anytime soon. I don't know. He's uh, he's going to help Simona Halep out for a bit, which I think is yeah, good shout. Yeah, I think it I think it makes sense. Um, you know, I think, you know, he's he's a coach and he needs to be I guess in employment. Yes, he's got lots of other ventures going on and you know, he's got a big kind of profile in the in the tour, but I think at the end of the day probably what he misses most is, you know, being a you know, being a full-time coach and with Serena Williams, you know, sadly at the moment that doesn't seem like a realistic prospect. So for him to have the opportunity to work with someone of the caliber of Simona Halep, I think, yeah, it does make sense on that point of view. And I think from Simona Halep's point of view as well, yes, you know, not having a a coach can, can help you um, in some regards. And yeah, she's been playing some very solid tennis um, over the last few months, but I think she realizes that if she wants to get back to where she was, where we're talking about her as a, a grand slam yeah, Grand Slam contender, Grand Slam favourite, particularly with the the French Open coming up, she's going to need a, a coach of that caliber that's going to really kind of help her achieve that. And you know, with Muratoglu uh, available again from her point of view, it feels like a no brainer because I think it would be very, I think it would be a more challenging situation to try and go about, you know, being taken seriously as a contender for a French Open for a French Open title, for example, without having, um, you know, a coach, a full-time coach in your corner that has been there, done that, got all the experience um, that, that you know, you would want to draw upon um, in order to to reach back to the top. And, you know, for Simona Halep, I think that's, that's what she wants to do. And I think this is a, a good sign of intent, really. I think this shows her, her ambition. Um, yes, it's a short-term arrangement and we don't know Obviously, the biggest unknown is is what's going on with Serena Williams. We we just don't know. Yes, there's a lot of speculation on does this mean she's retired, but we we can't really say that at the moment. But yeah, in this short term period, Simona Halep, Patrick Muratoglu, yeah, I think it's a uh, it's a it's a good it's a good partnership. Yeah, I think because Halep, um, she worked with a coach from the Muratoglu Academy uh, out in Indian Wells. Um, who, funnily enough, has a brilliant name, Morgan Bourbon. Um, <laughs> I just think that's such a cool name. Um, Bourbon yeah. biscuits. Well, or is that or, or bourbon bourbon or alcohol? Is that whiskey? Or, yeah. yeah, I don't yeah, know. Whiskey, yeah. Um, but 
<laughs> but obviously Morita Glue is now, yeah, like saying, yes, I can commit at least mm. in the short term. So um, I think, I mean, who wouldn't want to coach Simona Halep? She's she's great, isn't she? So, um, but yes, so positive news there. Slightly less positive news here. Uh, Joe Wilfred Songa has announced he will be retiring after the French Open. Um, you know, he's... He said that his head has told him that he could play all his life, uh, but at the same time, his body uh, reminds him that his abilities to surpass himself are no longer there. Um, and that after this this French Open, he's decided that he'll stop playing, um, which I think is absolutely fair enough. This this will be his 15th French Open. You know, he's he's been on the scene a while. He's struggled with a lot of injury. And, you know, it's just after a while, it just gets a bit much, doesn't it? He said, why does he keep hurting himself every day? Uh, what's, what's it all for? So, uh, fair decision there. But he will be sorely missed. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's a you know, it's a sad it's a sad situation. He has given so much to tennis. Um he's had some amazing performances, you know, over his career. Uh you know, performances I've no doubt we're going to reflect on when he properly retires come the the French Open. But yeah, right in this moment, um yeah, it's it's sad to see it, but you felt you felt quite if you know, I think if you were a fan looking at the tour, looking at his results, you felt like it was coming and you just, in my point of view, you just did not want to see someone like a Joe Wilfred Songa be losing to, you know, players playing week in, week out on the challenger circuit. It just didn't, it just didn't feel right. And I think, you know, maybe it was some of those moments where it was like, you know, the reality here is coming and, you know, he wants obviously that perfect send off probably on a, you know, a full packed, uh, Chatrier court, hopefully against a, a top seed um, at Roland Garros. And I hope he gets that um, opportunity. But um, yeah, I think over the last yeah 12 months or so, the results on the tour have just not been there, I think, to fuel kind of to keep going. And um, although, yeah, injuries have kind of taken its its, its toll on, on his body, I think we'll all remember him as such a charismatic player i always love kim his celebration at the end of matches when he does the uh well i, I didn't even have to, the song spin can we call it that or the the 360 jump around uh, like <laughs> there's like probably Songa a more spin. eloquent song spin yeah it's probably a more eloquent way of, put, of putting it but um yeah he's such a likable guy and a great asset to uh great asset to tennis and he's given also a lot i think to french tennis over you know over the last yeah 15 or so years given you know they've been a country who you know produced so many kind of so many players who i think have reached you know the atp top 100 but they've very rarely had players like a songa who have gone that step further and you have thought about them in the context of oh is this person a grand slam a grand slam finalist and absolutely joe wilfred songa was one of those individuals yeah, I think he's certainly for me in that cohort of would have won a slam had it not been for the big mm. three. You know, I think we all remember that 2008 Australian Open when he reached the final. You know, he beat Rafa so comfortably in that semi final. I just remember him blasting Rafa off the court. And obviously, Novak uh, was able to, to beat him in the final. But that's kind of my main memory. And obviously, that was quite early in his career. And he's done a lot since then, some semi finals at Wimbledon, Roland Garros. So, um, yeah, really fantastic player. And, uh, I think obviously unfortunate that perhaps wrong era, you know, other players mm, is getting yeah. in the way and also injuries maybe 
made him uh, less successful in terms of numbers than he would have been in a, perhaps a different time and place. But um, we wish him well as he goes into his next next chapter um, of his of his life and perhaps a different type of career. So yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully we won't have any more retirements for a while, Joel. I know, I know Caroline Wozniacki finally had her goodbye match the other day. Yes, uh, I know. It's been a long time coming. I know. It gets Angie Kerber as well yeah, in uh, exactly. Denmark. But yeah, it was a long, it was a long time coming because of the, because <laughs> of the pandemic. But, yeah. um, yes, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, sad to see, sad to see with Songa. But yeah, maybe he's going to have his own exhibition match as a send off. Who knows who that? that? I could see that being against Andy Murray actually for some reason, um, but uh, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see see what if there is an exhibition match that gets played in in Paris at some point. But uh, yeah, but moving on, Kim. Last kind of talking point before we get into Monte Carlo. Andrea Gaudenzi, the ATP CEO, has sent a message to the players on the ATP tour. He's had enough with all of the aggression that has been seen and has been talked about and has quite frankly not been a good look um for the tour um over the last well since the start of the season really you know we've had you know people like Nick Kyrgios throwing their rackets Sasha Zverev as well intimidating umpires it's not been great and yeah Andrea Gaudenzi has come out with a note to players and basically said enough is enough and the ATP tour is going to be tightening up on player behavior on court, which means that they will be more active, I think, in terms of penalties, in terms of fines, I think, just in terms of conduct, that anything that is unsportsmanlike, they, they're going to be on it in a flash, it's, it is, is the impression I get from the, the note. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to hear this news. It's, mm. it's like all of our, you know, moaning and whining about players moaning and whining and hitting and something had to happen yeah it's it had to happen because you can't go on with players whacking rackets and hitting ball kids and and all these sorts of stuff and um so I mean obviously they they're not fleshing out exactly what the stricter kind of rules are going to be but in the meantime they are you know from this clay court swing going to to be stricter we just don't know exactly how and when they say penalties I hope they don't just mean they're going to like add on an extra five thousand pound fine no uh, I feel like they, they need to have you know real meaningful deduct impact. ranking points do do yeah. something that is going to yeah. mean something but um yeah I think I, I know I I actually will give I think we've negged on the ATP quite a lot in terms of their inaction over the last you know six months or so on on the podcast so it's actually nice to see them like take a stance moving forward and i think what i think is quite good about how they've done this is that they've said you know effective immediately and as we head into the clay court swing the atp officiating team has been directed to take a stricter stance in judging violations of the code of conduct so there's going to be some sort of immediate response but there's also going to be a more longer term response where they're going to be reviewing the code and its enforcement and what they do with regards to kind of repeated offenses. So I like this sort of split approach in terms of having this sort of short term view on, on whatever hot topic or whatever it is. Um, and then also a more kind of longer term kind of point of view. And and perhaps that's the way they should be looking at, at decision-making, you know, on these subjects in the future, because as I said, it feels like they've just sort of skirted a lot of issues and not had a, sort of short-term response put in place so 
although I think there's still obviously lots of work to be done, I think this is a, a positive step to make. And, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe we will see, we will see it in effect in, you know, across the clay season. I mean, it'll be fascinating come the end of the clay season. We reflect to see if, you know, these, these threats do get realized because I, I think that the worry is if, if they don't, then these sort of messages just become a bit hollow and a bit empty. Yeah, exactly. They've actually got to do something concrete. So, mm. I mean, we'll wait and see what, this, what actually this, does This holds happen. them to that, though. This holds them yeah, to that, right? exactly. So it's a good move from the CEO. Good announcement. Um, You know, better late than never. So we'll give them their due. Um, And, I mean, on that note, let's let's talk about the clay court swing, uh, which is properly, you know, fully up and running on the courts of Monte Carlo. My favourite tournament of the year, probably along with Wimbledon, I guess. Um, and we got the fans yeah. back. Fans are back. Uh, the sun is shining. Uh, well, actually, it looked a bit grey. Um, well, the bit I was just watching just now, people did have their coats on, but, you know, it is still early April, to be fair. Um, <laughs> they can't be living it up too much on the on the French Riviera, <laughs> can they? Um, some of us do live in cold places. Um, anyway, um, you can't tell that I'm bitter about not being there, can you, Joel? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, Novak Djokovic is the top seed. Uh, he's back. He's back uh, after his his brief appearance in uh, was it Dubai, where he sort of rocked up, lost to Vesely, and then went home again. Um, he's allowed to play, uh, which I'm sure he's thrilled about. And he has got uh, probably a very winnable first round, but he may face. Uh, would it be in the quarterfinals? Quarterfinals, Carlos Alcaraz, who obviously recently has won Miami and is, you know, hot off the press, uh, hot prospect. So, um, obviously, I think most people are probably hoping for that matchup. Um, I do think Djokovic will probably get there. He's got a fairly decent draw. Dan Evans doesn't seem to be in the greatest form so far on the clay. Um, so I think yeah, that was yeah. a rough loss against Andahar, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, so I'm not. I don't know if I'm. So hopeful. Dan Evans could play Goffan in the in the second round, actually. Um Yeah, I mean it, it it's it's really I mean the draw is is fascinating in the sense that you do you do wonder whether if, if that Djokovic Alcaraz match happens in the quarters, whether the the winner of Monte Carlo could maybe even come from that that top quarter given you know we know the the caliber of, of both those players. I don't know if there's a risk of Alcaraz and, and burnout. You know, he's been through a lot, not just in terms of matches, but just the, you know, the emotions, I think, of, of, of everything that's just happened and, you know, catapulted him almost seemingly into stardom, you know, over in, on the hard courts in America. So I don't know if that's going to have an impact. He's got Sebi Corda, um, first up, which feels not, not, um, not, not, that not that easy if I'm being quite honest so you know he's gonna have to turn up and be ready I think straight from the first point if he wants to come through someone like um Corder but uh yeah we've also got in that second quarter Casper Rude is there um on the clay courts we know how much of a threat he is the other big seed in his uh in that second quarter with him is Cam Norrie he faces Ramos Vinolas in his opening match and then on the bottom half I Kim, I feel like the bottom half is completely open for someone to come through to the, the final. I mean, Zverev, yes, he's the second seed, but still sort of struggling to find his way. Sissipas, Rublev, FAA, not sure. Um, yeah, it feels that bottom half feels a lot more open to me than the the top half. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's particularly convincing. No, um, I, I... even Yannick Sinus like struggled a little bit today. I thought maybe. Mm. 
and he had the trainer out I was wondering if he was going to retire potentially but you know he came through um against Borna Chorich yeah it's it's it feels very feels very feels a lot more sort of tough to call I think in the in that second in that in that bottom half even I didn't know Sinner had the trainer out so I've um actually predicted him to win the tournament but now I'm um (laughs) rapidly revising that um obviously that match has just kind of happened as we're recording this so I wasn't aware of all of the ins and outs um whoopsie daisy Uh, I mean who are you predicting Joel for for your Monte Carlo semi-final champion yeah so I am gonna go with uh in the top half i've got rude versus djokovic i think djokovic will beat carlos alcraz i think that match will happen but i think novak djokovic i just think that given the time he's had off i think he's gonna just make the most of these moments i don't think there's going to be any sort of rust there i think he'll be raring to go and he's going to be turning up to win. So I'm sort of expecting him to kind of come through to the semifinals. And Casper Ruud, I think, is just going to continue that momentum he built in Miami on a surface he's even more at home with. So um, I've got Ruud Djokovic in the top half. And then bottom half, I have gone a bit rogue. I've gone... And I'm going to stick to it, Kim. If you're not going to stick to it, I am. Because I I made these predictions again before the, the Sinner-Chorich match. But I've got... Um, I have got Sinner versus Sissipas in my semi-final. Um, and I, I'm saying that sort of belatedly because, yeah, I, I do wonder if Sinner has played too many matches this season. I don't know whether he needs a little bit of a, a week off or or something. I, I feel like he's, time is time on court is catching up with him potentially um, this week. But uh, I'm still going to back him um, to get to the semi-finals. And yeah, I think Stefanos Sissipas... On clay, again, very familiar court surface to him. I'm going to back him as well to get to the semis. So, uh, yeah, Sinner Sissipas, Djokovic Rude. And then I'm going Djokovic Sissipas final with Novak Djokovic winning. Um, as I said, I just think Novak Djokovic, he's here. He means business. And without Rafa, I just, I just think he'll, I just think he'll go on and win the title. I've been willfully optimistic and gone for Carlos Alcaraz to to beat Djokovic in that quarter and to make the semi-finals. Um, I think that he's going to play Casper Rude as well. I think it will be a repeat okay. of the Miami yeah. final. Although perhaps Alcaraz will have a bit of a letdown after Miami, you know, the pressure and all the attention. I don't know. Uh, I hope not. Uh, but for the other semi-final, I've gone for Diego Schwartzman and uh, Yannick Sinner because I feel like Schwartzman often has really good weeks at Clay Court Masters and we haven't sort of seen him have that in a while. So I've sort of, he's in that Felix Auger, Eliasim little section, Sitsipats as well. So I'm not convinced by them. So I'm going for Schwartzman. But yeah, I've, I've gone overall for Sinner to win the, the whole thing against Rude <laughs> in the final. But I really, <laughs> I'm questioning myself of that one. But um well, come on, Yannick, prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, prove us, prove us. Well, prove us right. Prove us right. Prove us right. Prove us right. Prove yeah, us right. yeah we made myself. we made these predictions. Yeah, before the the cinematch the cinema earlier. You, interestingly, Kim Schwartzman beat Kachinov earlier. That match lasted three hours seven minutes. So, well, Schwartzman has <laughs> great stamina. Well, that is true. Okay. I think he'll he won't be affected by that. It'd be absolutely okay. fine. <laughs> well, well, actually, just on the on the you said stamina. Stanima, and it triggered in my mind Stanimal, 
Stan Wawrinka was back playing tennis today, which we yeah. need to just so, sort of celebrate because, yeah, he has been in the injury wilderness for what seems like an absolute age. Um, unfortunately, he, I mean, he had a pretty good showing, I thought, against, um, against Bublik. Bublik. Bublik in three sets, that was it. Um, Bublik coming through after losing the first set. Um, and yeah, Vavrinka just sort of ran out of steam in that third set. But, um, yeah, it was nice to see Vavrinka back on the, back on the tennis court. You've taken a wild card, um, into the Monte Carlo. But, um, yeah, nice, nice to see him back. Nice to see him get a set. Hopefully, I mean, is it going to be like an Andy Murray, like get a wild card, play a tournament, win a match, lose a match, go to the next tournament? Who, who knows? But, uh, be fascinating to compare, I think now. Vavrinka's sort of injury comeback to to Murray's given uh you know I think just given the you know the the injuries that they've had but also you know that generally their their talent and abilities and sort of in a similar similar sort of spacing I feel with their you know with their wins in their in their careers to date. Absolutely we'll have to see how um how he gets on as the other clay tournaments you know progress mm. I'm sure he'll be definitely awarded wild cards uh, you know, <laughs> left right and centre well yeah I mean maybe all he'll need to do is maybe whip, whip out those shorts again and, maybe uh... maybe there should be a wild card playoff between Vavrinka and Andy Murray um, <laughs> yeah at some point but Andy Murray's obviously not playing the clay season so. no but it might have to come to that <laughs> other tournaments yeah there's only so many wild cards for the old bogeys yes <laughs> uh, but yeah I think that brings us to a close but we'll be back next week to round up Monte Carlo won't we yes listeners I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest tour catch up with the passing shot remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on to make sure you stay up to date and all the action on the atp and wta tours we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple podcasts or spotify and you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. And you can also contact us on there with any queries or feedback that you may have. Uh, or if you prefer, you can email the show passingshotpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Passing Shot HQ for another tour catch up. We'll see how everyone gets on in Monte Carlo. So I hope you can join us for our next episode. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon. 